0: When times get tough like this and there's an issue that causes you to question what are we going to do on this issue, what stance are we going to take, the answer has to be grounded in what is our purpose, what's our mission, what's our core values.
1: Welcome to Joy at Work. I'm your host, Alex Liu, Managing Partner and Chairman at Kearney. Joy, it's something we've talked about something we all want and crave, but why is it so elusive? Each day, each tragedy of all kinds seems to pound us with the inconvenient truth and realization that we still have so very far to go. To create the preconditions for joy and justice, to actually eliminate intolerance, biases and blind spots, and even violence in the communities that we love and are inextricably a part of. I recorded this conversation you're about to hear a few weeks ago on April 13th. It was after another chaotic month of you name it. Asian hate crimes, outrage over racially motivated voter suppression policy, the ongoing murder trial in Minneapolis, and yet another tragic death in the same city in that same week. So it's hard not to get emotional about this topic, myself included. How do we find joy and justice in this broader context? How do we keep the faith and yet keep fighting for both? Personally, I hold on. I hold on to hope and focus on what I believe and what I can influence. As individuals and leaders, we can all inspire. We all have the power and specific levers that we can pull to lead change and maybe drive a new narrative and a new story. The question I ask myself every day is, how will I use my power and influence today? What will I stand up for, even in a hurricane? That very question was on my mind when I talked to my friend, Brian Tippins. Brian is a leader with many years of experience guiding major companies to become more diverse, inclusive, and sustainable. He has been at HP Enterprise for 20 years with roles including Chief Diversity Officer and his new role, Chief Sustainability Officer. I got to know Brian after a panel we were a part of at Davos in January of 2020, seems so long ago, about mental health. Little did we know just how important that topic would become. He has helped me have more than one aha moment about ESG, which stands for environmental, social, and corporate governance, and how all these themes wrap up together. Joy and justice working together. Here's that conversation. So first, let me uh, welcome you, Brian. Good to have you here.
0: Thank you, thank you for having me. Looking forward to the discussion.
1: Absolutely. First, let's talk about the elephant in the room, or maybe there are elephants in the room. This last year has obviously been an amazing whirlwind on many dimensions, and I wanna hear how you're doing and your experience. What has it been like for you as a leader and how are you doing?
0: Yeah, that's a loaded question, as <laughs> so I'll say. First, let me hearken back to, you. you mentioned that we shared a stage at Davos, and I can't believe that's been so long now. It was in January of 2020 for that discussion on kind of mental health and wellness in the workplace. And I remember we started out that discussion, acknowledging that even then in January 2020, we were dealing with some pretty difficult times, right? We are harkening back to some of the surveys and the analysis that was being done about the fear and apprehension and the stress in the workplace that people were feeling and talking about how best to deal with that. So how interesting that that was even before the current environment, that was before COVID and the current work at home, shelter in place. And so I'll say that I'm coping, (laughs) I'm, I'm dealing, I'm trying to be very proactive. On a personal level, it has very much changed my own work style. I've had roles, Alex, that have had me traveling quite a bit out with teams around the world. And so I've had to adapt to being here in front of, this monitor, this camera all day, every day. And so that's taken a little bit of adaptation. And and I'll say, interestingly, or counterintuitively, I found ways to stay as connected, if not even more connected to team members around the world in doing this. And from a leadership standpoint, I think this has caused us all, right, to really have to step into the role of setting the tone, being the light, right, trying to be inspirational to our team members, not just leading the business functionality of the team. But I've certainly had to find myself helping to inspire my teams globally.
1: Well, I mean, it seems like a whole set of hurricanes hitting you, both at the firm level, the company level, globally, as you mentioned and alluded to, but also personally, all the racial and social justice controversies, the life at work phenomenon that you alluded to. Personally, how have you been able to cope with this?
0: That's an added layer we didn't even mention at the outset is the racial justice implications. It'd be one thing to just have to deal with a global pandemic, which is in and of itself such a big task and causing us to think about how we work differently. But you layer on that all the racial injustice, the social justice issues that have been taking place, over the last year and really kind of continue to hit us. Every day, there's something new, right, that we have to deal with in that regard. And so I've typically had roles, Alex, whether it was the chief diversity officer or culture and engagement roles, where I always had to have an open door anyway and sort of be that person, that leader to whom team members can reach out when there's times of uncertainty. But this has caused me to have to do that even more. It's become very much part of my day-to-day job. You know, in times of uncertainty, people look for someone or something to provide that stability. At times like this, we either have to find the light or be the light. And so I made the determination early on uh, two things. One, that in the very beginning of our shelter in place, I made the assumption, the fact that we were in this for the long haul. I hope that I was wrong, but I made the assumption very early on that this was going to be the new style of work for a while. And then with that said, I tried to adapt very early on to providing that level of stability for our team members, assuming that it was going to be for the long haul. So it's been very tough because of course it affects me like all of us on a personal level. I've got to deal with my own issues and family issues and coping with the current environment. But I have definitely over-rotated on trying to be that level of stability and provide that inspiration and kind of stabilizing calming influence for our team members through these challenging times.
1: It's been over a year. I mean, if you add it up, it's kind of crazy. But how did you and your team manage to create conditions for some sort of joy and resilience, perhaps during the last year? What were some of those moments that inspired you that you can harken back to?
0: I'd say we were in a good position 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 in that good, I'll say in air quotes, we were in a good position or had the benefit of the fact that we had already invested quite a bit in our culture in engagement, in this concept of joy. In the year before the pandemic, I had spent a good portion of that year meeting with team members around the world, myself and some other leaders, in focus sessions to focus on our culture. In fact, we just call them culture days, right? We'd go to major sites around the world, in Romania and in Asia and in South America, wherever we had big populations where we were doing business. And we were very intentional about setting these full day sessions to take people away from their desk, away from their day job, to spend a full day focusing on culture, on engagement, on concepts of unconscious bias and building an inclusive environment. And that was just one tool that we used in our kind of attempts to drive joy in the workplace. And so having built that foundation in the year before, last year, before COVID, before the racial unrest, I can think helped set a tone of a cohesive team that made it a little bit easier for us once times got really tough. And then as times have gotten tough, I think we've done a few things. One is kind of over-rotating on communications. It's always tough to find the right balance of how much you're gonna communicate with team members. Some people don't appreciate the over-communication, But on balance, I think most appreciate the fact that we're creating that open door. And so we did very tactical things like more frequent all team member meetings. We did things like impose wellness Fridays once a month where we'll end the Friday kind of uh, midday and give our team members permission to block out their calendars and do something that's going to encourage their wellness, whether it's go to a medical appointment or just go take a walk or take a yoga class, whatever it is, just to focus on themselves. We provided a lot of virtual volunteering opportunities because a lot of our team members, while they're sheltering in place, still want to be able to make an impact in their local communities. But interestingly enough, the thing that I found most impactful or kind of create this particular moment of joy is something very simple that we did was some virtual coffee chats or virtual happy hours, whatever you want to call them, where we leverage the technology, use Zoom, Microsoft Teams, whatever the platform is. But it was taking around a very senior leader, like our chief operating officer, for example, and pulling in a small population based on a site, maybe 20, 30 people, and just pull them into an unscripted 30 minutes. We'd love to see your smiling faces. Let's just check in and see how everyone's doing. No agenda agenda, no talking about work, just an informal opportunity for us to do kind of the water cooler chat that we don't get to do while we're sheltering in place. And those were so impactful. We ended up doing a series of about 60 of them so far, and we continue to do them around the world. And it's just so endearing. And team members, sometimes they don't know how to come on screen or what to expect, but it's immediately kind of soothing and calming to see the faces of team members who we're not accustomed to seeing, and also seeing very senior leaders in very relaxed conditions with the scruffy growing beard or the baseball cap. It's endearing for people to know that we're all in this together. And so things as simple as that have really helped us to build joy in these trying times.
1: Do you see this as a real pivot point to the future in terms of structural focus on a new type of culture based on what we went through?
0: I really do. And early on, people talked about the fact that we were moving into this new normal and that that became the new buzzword, the new normal. And I was always under the impression that we we're going to move past this new normal into the next normal, which doesn't necessarily look like the normal that we started with, right? I think we're forever changed by this. I think things is just as fundamental as how we were And where we work will change, but also this concept of authenticity on a lot of levels. We are bringing people into our homes in a way that we never had to do before, and we're very much all in this together and suffering all kind of the same sorts of anxieties and fears and apprehensions. That has been a bit of an equalizer. I recall years ago, I worked in an organization where we had a very senior leader. It was at a time when we were doing a all hands on deck, everybody back in the office exercise, and the senior leader saying something like, "If I hear one more baby crying or dog barking on one of these calls, I'm I'm going to go crazy. right? And then you fast forward to now where that's crazy endearing when you see here the dog bark or the baby crying or the spouse partner walking in the background of the meeting. And those are just simple things, but all to say that I think we're being more authentic because we need to be. And we're all dealing with such trying issues. I think we all are bringing our whole selves to work in a way that we hadn't done previously. And I hope that that's sort of a lasting change.
1: Let me get your thoughts on this, because obviously HPE is in the tech sector, a global icon, you're in the middle of all kinds of technology changes, always, and you're doing your own ongoing structural transformation, getting better with customers, and then you've got this sort of cultural agenda and pressure and transformation. How do you and the leadership team, maybe more broadly, kind of balance out joy at work versus all these sort of hard business priorities that need to get done?
0: We have always felt, and particularly now, very much think that they're very much interrelated, that You can't have one without the other. And we've been on a transformation journey on some level for several years, right? HPE, Hewlett Packard Enterprise, was born out of the separation of HP Co into two separate publicly traded companies back in 2015. But this current transformation journey is quite massive, pivoting to everything as a service. We made this announcement that by 2022, we'll offer everything that we offer as a service, which is massive in and of itself, pivoting from a box manufacturer to a solution provider, providing everything as a service. And that requires changes at all levels of the organization. And it requires that everyone be all in. But when we think about that and think about joy and the culture, we frequently say we can't get that pivot right if we don't get the culture right. Because at the end of the day, it's about people. It's about having the best and brightest talent that in the tech industry has lots of different choices of where they want to work. And it's a very competitive environment. We're always in the fight for the best and brightest talent. We realize our people are our greatest asset. And so we can't get the business right unless we get the people and the culture right. And so we don't view them as two totally separate things. We view them as very much interrelated
1: having a spirit of teamwork is something I know that's important to you. I've spoken with you and a few of your leaders over the years. In our own research, we found that teamwork boils down, whether it's a championship sports team or anything else, you know, harmony, acknowledgement, and impact, having the right role clarity, a sense of mutual respect, whether you're a rookie or a veteran, and obviously having a common business purpose and impact or mission. I'm hearing you say those are three key levers that are playing out at HPE at the moment as well.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned a common business purpose. I think that's something that's key and core. And I think if I recall correctly, we discussed this at that stage in Davos at World Economic Forum, the fact that we all have kind of these cultural taglines, these words on a slide that are about our purpose or on a slide or in the cafeteria or in the entrance to our buildings, right? There's these artifacts around what's gonna tie us together. But the real test is how do you get beyond those words to really making it real. And so we're no different. We've got these cultural pillars around our beliefs. It's around accelerating what's next, It's around believing in bold moves, believing in the power of yes, we can, and believing in being a force for good. But it's more than just words. We talk about them all the time. In every team member meeting, we rate and rank our leaders on their ability to kind of embody those values and those beliefs. It's not just what you do at the end of the year, but how you did it. And so woven into that are these concepts of harmony, building cohesive teams, building an environment of inclusion around acknowledgement, having a culture of recognition, and importantly around impact and making sure that all of our team members at all levels of the organization understand how the work that they do every day helps drive that purpose, right? So they're not separate and distinct from the top line objectives of the business. And so completely agree that those triggers are critical to be thinking about. And again, not just words on a slide, but things that we embody every single day.
1: Well, I love your point about getting the voice of the teammate involved You're saying providing direct feedback on whether or not the captain of the team or whoever the leader is, is delivering on the values and the mission statement of HPE.
0: And it has to be at all levels, right? It has to be very much 360. There has to be this feedback mechanism that allows everyone to be very open and honest about, again, not just what you're doing, but how you're performing towards our values.
1: Now, you've recently been promoted or moved to a new role as chief sustainability officer. Obviously, there's a lot going on in the world around this topic. It's board level, mission critical. Can you tell us a little bit more about how you got interested in sustainability and what that means for you?
0: Sure. Yeah. And it's a great time to be in the space. You mentioned board level investment community. I think it no time has there been more focus being paid and attention being paid to this concept of ESG, of an environmental and social governance. It's all those ways that we impact communities and make an impact beyond the product generation or the services that we provide. And so it's an area I've always been interested in. I've always been, Alex, like naive enough to think I can change the world and drawn to these roles that are all around doing well by doing good. And sustainability is a space to really focus on that because it's around driving positive change with a purpose, but not just purely philanthropy. It's around driving change for a business purpose. And if done right, it really helps to enable the business success.
1: Well, let me just clarify that. So when you define sustainability, does that include all the work around climate and circularity? Is it the people and again, social and racial justice topics in the workplace and in the broader community? Is it different types of metrics that are around you know, stakeholder capitalism or what is called conscious capitalism, the ESG agenda? What is your scope? Because it sounds like there's a lot of impact you can have.
0: Yeah, it's a little bit of all of the above, right? So all things environmental, but it's also around the social piece. And there's pieces that we drive out of our team. For example, I also have oversight for the Hewlett Packard Enterprise Foundation, our philanthropic organization, our our nonprofit organization that provides philanthropic giving in communities to help drive social issues, right? But there's also opportunities where we influence in other organizations. The ESG agenda is quite broad. And so there's multiple groups inside the enterprise that touch on it, whether it's my small team of experts and subject matter experts, or it's the HR team when you're talking about issues of pay parity and diversity, inclusion.
1: Your scope touches so much of the enterprise and the company. I mean, how do you define success?
0: I think some of it is finite. In the environmental space, You know, certainly there's some enumerated stated goals around reduction of greenhouse gas emissions or sourcing of renewable energy or energy efficiency of our products, right? There's stated goals that we want to reach this level by this year. And so those are quite easy to measure. Similarly, in the social space, there's some stated goals around diversity of our workforce, right? Representation of women or ethnic minority or our procurement spend with diverse businesses. Those are quantifiable. You can measure those, right? But some of it's not as measurable. It's around the extent to which we could support sales through our investment in in environmental and social governance, because our customers in the marketplace really care around this. Some of it's around just providing inspirational leadership that makes the best and brightest talent want to come work for us and stay here because they know they're working for a purpose-driven organization. Some of it's around how we work to lead positive change, not just for our company, but for the industry. And so some of it's very easily to measure what success looks like. Some of it's sort of work in progress as this attention and focus really becomes more and more heightened on the ESG agenda for companies. I think some of it's still developing.
1: Let me play devil's advocate a little bit though, too, because on the one hand, it's very admirable to have this, but it's also a lot. And I'm sure there's a lot of transformation fatigue, in air quotes. For the folks that have been around for a while, how do they view the sustainability initiative? It's work in progress and there's an evolution because
0: as you referenced, there's always competing priorities. We've got to satisfy the customer. We've got to get the next product out the door. We've got to meet these requirements in our supply chain, right? And so this becomes yet another thing to consider. The interesting part about where we sit right now in this point in time is that those aren't distinct, right? Our ability to meet environmental and social goals really helps us to win new business or satisfy requirements from our customers because we're all under the same pressures. And also the point that you mentioned, it's around bringing in the best and brightest workforce where we're working to bring in the Gen Xs and Gen Ys who are making decisions based on purpose. And so our ability to kind of help tick that box and be purpose-driven, I think helps us from a talent standpoint as well. And so not to say it's easy, it is yet another area of focus for our team members, but because we can tie it back to business value, I think that makes it a bit easier.
1: Do you see any sort of generational conflict in that or opportunity? Is it sort of the young teaching the older, if you will, or vice versa
0: I think it may cause you to communicate different to different audiences, but we find equal levels of interest with all generations because again, of that business impact and the appreciation for the fact that this is not just a touchy feely, nice thing to do, that this really drives business value. And I'd say that wasn't always the case. It wasn't always the case. It was a case where focus on sustainability, environment, and all things social was viewed as an extra and add on. But in the current environment where the big institutional investors, the Black Rocks and the Vanguards and the others are saying this is important to us and where employees, are saying this is important to us as we're choosing an employer, and particularly now with all the social issues that are surfacing and CEOs making statements around where their company falls on this, it's part of our citizenship message. And so I think gone are the days where we view this as a nice-to-have or an add-on.
1: Well, you've also had the added benefit of leading the diversity and inclusion and equity initiatives at HPE for quite some time also. What have you learned about DE&I from your work there and how it's probably improved and enlightened and informed your sustainability? mission as well.
0: They're not totally distinct, whether we think about the environmental agenda or sort of the traditional notions of DE&I. For example, as we talk about climate change, we know that climate change and climate impacts disproportionately impact diverse and underrepresented communities, whether we're talking about gender or ethnicity around the world. So they're interrelated in that way, but they're also interrelated in sort of the business case, the why it's important to us as corporations. I frequently talk about the three C's of the other business case It's being around compliance and there's compliance related aspects to each, whether we're talking about the ethnic and gender makeup of our workforce or our environmental emissions and how we create our products, right? There's a compliance aspect to both. The second C is around corporate social responsibility. And certainly there's CSR aspects. Ad- aspects, you want to be a good corporate citizen and set the tone and ensure that you're you know, embodying diversity, inclusion, environmental sustainability, and all that we do. But most importantly, this is last C is competitive advantage. And, and they're very much interrelated in the fact that if we get this right, it provides a differentiator for us, particularly in commoditized environments, where if we get this right, it helps us to win business, whether we it's around attracting the best and brightest talent to drive innovation or meeting requirements of our customers who value this. And so I'd say they're not distinct, that they're very much interrelated. And I'm seeing more connection of these programs in corporations as people begin to realize that that ESG interrelation is just so critical.
1: I think the game has changed and it's also been raised. You said this earlier in another forum that DE and I used to be a little bit off to the side, really important, obviously everyone behind it. But now when you link it into everything else that's going on, into this broader umbrella of sustainability, the purpose of the company (laughs) has to include diversity, inclusion, and everything else that you're leading. It
0: really does. It has to be a 360 degree view. It can't just be about how we're going to create some pipeline programs to hire for diversity, or how we're going to have some employee resource groups to celebrate cultural celebrations throughout the year. It has to be really viewing diversity inclusion as a business imperative at all levels. How we build a pipeline of talent, how we grow that talent internally, but also how we impact communities, which is becoming, increasingly more important. I'm sure all our listeners are seeing this on a daily basis. Truly is a business imperative.
1: Let's um, go to the current moment. So 2020 was a year of real struggle and reckoning, but maybe there's light at the end of the tunnel. What would you like to see happen in the future? What kind of transformations do you think we need to now really drive towards?
0: There's some days where I tell you it's tough to be optimistic. <laughs> and there are some times where it's very easy to look on the news and see the, the latest news of the day, the latest racial unrest or natural disaster, or whatever it is, and say, when is this going to stop, right? But at the same time, I think there's optimism, simply in the fact that we're having conversations like this in a way that we weren't having a couple of years ago. Dealing with adversity is causing us as corporations, as individuals to think about how we can be a force for good, how we can do better, how we can drive some joy in the workplace. And so I'd say a, a couple of things that give me some level of optimism is one, we talked about sort of this new style of work. I think there's optimism in the fact that we know we're not going to return to the normal that we came from, that there's got to be some level of next normal that looks a little bit different. And that's going to change the future of work and how we work. But more importantly, I think it's going to humanize work. It's what we talked about talked about before, it's being able to hear the babies crying in the background or the partner walking behind the zoom screens. The fact that we're blurring the lines between our work life and our personal life, not in a negative way, not to say that we're just on 24 seven, there's gotta be some balance there. And I say, bring our whole selves to work. That's very trite HR speak, but I hope that in the future, that's a trend where we're able to be more authentic and work with empathy because of this current environment. And then the other piece I'd say is it's forcing us to have to deal with what role do companies play? What role do corporations play in being that for good and acknowledging that our team members don't leave their fears and apprehensions at the front door of the office when they come to work, that we've all got a role to play in driving this environment of joy. And I think the fact that we're focusing on that and prioritizing that as a business priority it is a positive trend that gives me some optimism.
1: I love your sense of forward momentum and we should use this series of crises to move forward, but that doesn't mean we don't have crises. And, you know, in the wake of so many pressing public topics that are very disturbing and unsettling from voter suppression to Asian hate to the ongoing injustice in the black and minority communities that we see unfolding. Even today, I'm looking at the TV, it's very frightening. What role do you think that companies should play in being a force for change and a voice for change?
0: That's the question of the day for all corporations because there used to be the argument, even just a few years ago, that that there wasn't very much of a role for companies to play, that that didn't fall in their core purpose. You know, I'm a technology manufacturer or I'm a consumer products company. I don't have any role in the politics or the positions of my team members. And I think this current environment has, and not that the current environment is new. You mentioned a lot of dynamics of Asian hate and violence and the issues of police brutality that that have been going on for a long time, but are, are kind of now surfacing. I think it's causing corporations to realize that there must be some role for them to play. Whether it's internal, doing those things that address the concerns of our team members, like convening the listening sessions to listen to the concerns of the employees or creating employee resource groups that can come together around a common cause and influence company policies. It's around using the mechanisms of the company to be a force for good, whether it's our political action committees or our foundations. And then the question is, and I don't have the answer to this one. I think this is one we're all kind of grappling with right now is to what extent do corporations play a role in leading externally? We saw a lot of CEOs, a lot of companies stand up in response to perceived voter suppression Georgia, or actions in Texas, or different rules and regulations, right? So I don't think there's any one cookie cutter answer to say this is what every corporation should do. I think the answer is every corporation should have a point of view that aligns with their business purpose, aligns with the needs of their team members, aligns with their goals. It's no longer okay for corporations just to completely sit on the sidelines. We're going to play in different ways, but I think there's a role for every corporation to
1: play. A couple points that come to me. One, the employees and the people that come to work for your company want to know what you stand for and how you stand for it, right? Is it the other piece to me is how do you draw the line externally and whose values and whose points? Because at some point you also get into what is the role of the corporation?
0: Or one piece of advice I'd give to any corporate leader is that you can't be reactive, you, know, you have to, when times get tough like this and there's an issue that causes you to question, what are we gonna do on this issue? What stance are we gonna take? The answer has to be grounded in what is our purpose? What's our mission? What's our core values? And whatever we do has to align with those values are. So if you, that corporation doesn't have a bold value statement today, I think they need to kind of step back and spend some time thinking about who do they aspire to be for their customers, for their stakeholders, but in the communities where we live and work. And so that has to become kind of the foundation against which to determine what we're gonna do about a particular issue.
1: Well, the visibility for business business has never been higher. I mean, you've seen all the trust barometers where the faith in government institutions, military, police, religions, politicians are at all-time lows, whereas, ironically, businesses are at an all-time high as a voice for reality, faith, logic, etc., especially during times of COVID. So it is a calling and a visibility that was never there before. Uh, businesses are cross border already. They're global. They're forces for change across countries, jurisdictions, regulations. So I think you're right, Brian. It's a key question that companies need to ask, if not answer consistently in every place.
0: Completely agreed It's definitely not easy. It's how do we address the needs of our shareholders as we've traditionally and always had to do, but also recognizing that we have additional stakeholders beyond our shareholders to whom we have some level of accountability. So tough decisions to be made.
1: Brian, this has been super. I really appreciate your time. Any last messages for our listeners?
0: To the leaders, to the employers, senior leaders, people managers, I think it's just important to acknowledge that we all have a role to play. And as we've mentioned, kind of gone are the days where we think there's this bright line distinction between our work lives and our personal lives, that we have some level of responsibility for acknowledging that our team members have fears and apprehensions. And there's a lot that we could do as leaders to help build and drive that joy. And as we do so, it's with the acknowledgement and recognition that it's not a touchy-feely, nice thing to do. It's how we drive business value. We can't get the business right if we can't get the culture right. And part of that is driving that culture, that engagement, that real joy in the workplace.
1: Brian, thanks again for your insights and time today. Look forward to seeing you in other forums very soon.
0: Thanks for the opportunity. and enjoyed the discussion.
1: If you're looking for ways to transform your work and create more joy, subscribe to Joy at Work wherever you listen to podcasts. And we'd love to hear about how you're finding joy at work share on social media with the hashtag joy at work did you know that we offer joy workshops our interactive workshops help leaders learn how to create joy lead more confidently and build more empathetic and human workplaces we've already worked with several multinational corporations to bring more joy to their work if you'd like to learn more email our team at joy at joy at work is produced by carney a global management consulting firm we help our clients reach their full potential and find the way forward during uncertain times. Learn more at Carney.com slash joy at work. And if you enjoy this show, check out the other shows in the Carney Podcast Network, including A World Transformed, Reimagining the Future, hosted by my colleague and chairman emeritus, Paul LaDicina. It's a fascinating look at how our current crisis will propel us into a new reality. And on Inside the Mind, Kearney's Consumer Institute interviews consumer communities to uncover how and why people shop today and what their behaviors mean for the future of consumer goods and retail companies. You can find these shows wherever you listen to podcasts.